This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. I'm Mark Fisher. I'm a partner at Dwayne Morris in its Boston office, and I'm also a lecturer at Suffolk University Law School, where I co-teach the advanced copyright course. 106A is the Visual Artists' Right Act of 1990. When the United States decided to finally to join the major copyright treaty in the world, which is the Berne Convention out of the Berne Union, the United States felt it had to do something to protect what are called moral rights, the draw morale, which is a bit alien to the way United States copyright law came about. So let me start with a sort of cosmic view of it and then drill down in a granuloid what it really means. United States copyright law, which is derived out of English law, is an economic incentive. In Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, the copyright law is designed to incentivize authors to create. The U.S. system, in other words, comes down to if you allow creators called authors in the Constitution and in the Copyright Act to get paid for their work by having a monopoly, we will get more and better work. In other words, if creators don't get paid, they're likely to go off and become lawyers, accountants, hairdressers, and that kind of thing. If you allow them to create, they can make a profession, and these economic incentives will create both more and better work. And I would argue that's been an absolute success, that the rise of American popular culture is in some part connected with good copyright protection, um, and that particularly in the 20th century, a lot of the rapid growth of American music and books and popular culture that we all benefit from um, is in part due to a co strong copyright system. That doesn't mean at any cost, and trampling on what others may want to do is necessary, but I think copyright was uh, this copyright system of incentives was a big success. In Europe, particularly France, certain rights of creators are treated differently, not just as a kind of right to make money, but a kind of natural right that the right of an artist or author has a sort of basic value and speaks for the person himself or herself. What I mean by that is that in countries that follow the French model of moral rights, the author, the artist, has a right to protect against distortion, mutilation, lack of attribution of his or her work. So the classic mustache on the Mona Lisa would violate that right. In the United States, it might be a crime to deface a painting, and should we, obviously, but it wouldn't violate the author's rights. This came up in France on cases involving the colorization of black and white motion pictures, that that can violate the moral right of the creator because it distorts and harms the work. We don't really have that concept in the U.S. except for a handful of state laws, including Massachusetts. But because the Berne Convention requires adherence to moral rights, Congress was induced to finally pass the Visual Artists' Rights Act in 1990. It provides very limited protection for creators of visual works of art to claim authorship of the work and prevent certain distortions, mutilations, and for works of what are called recognized stature, protect against intentional or grossly negligent destruction of the artist's work. A very limited kind of moral rights, but it is moral rights. The last thing I'll say in that connection is that in a backhanded, kind of indirect way, because of our strong economic protections for copyright, we have a kind of moral rights protection because 
artists can put into their contracts provisions protecting against false attribution, against distortion. But that's a contract right, and people not party to the contract don't have to honor it. So we have achieved a little bit of the moral rights value in a backhanded way, but it's nowhere near equivalent to moral rights in countries that have inherently protected the moral rights of authors. It applies only to visual works of art under certain limited circumstances, not to software, not to books, not to music, not to plays. You could go on. They are common under countries that honor moral rights, principally many European countries, and, and countries that are very attuned to the moral rights system of protecting the rights of paternity and even the the draw to suite, which protects against sale of artwork without some payment to the original artist. The advantage is clearly that an artist, finally in the United States, apart from the, the state law attempts, can have some remedy if his or her work is mutilated or changed without the artist's permission. A work of art is something special, and it does stand for the artist, and I think that's fabulous that an artist can get some protection. The disadvantage is that if you take a very purist model that if you buy a painting or a sculpture and you feel like making it into your own sculpture and remixing it and making it something of your own, I guess you lose that right, but I'm not sure that's a right you necessarily have to have. That I think for great works of art, I think people own them, hold them a bit in trust for future generations, and I think if the artist had wanted to change it, he or she would have done it. So I don't think we lose much, but you do lose the ability to modify works of art, but I'm not sure that's a right we need to give people. It's more anomalous in that because of our economic incentive system by we reward um, intellectual property protection, particularly copyright, through this incentive system. If you can make money, create more, you'll create better work. That to have a system that is to some degree disconnected from economic incentives. Is that consistent? The answer is it is anomalous. For example, will an artist create better or more artwork simply because he or she knows that the artist may have some protection against distortion? I don't know many artists who think that way, that they're going to create because artists have to create. I don't think that their decision to create is going to be affected by the fact that they can file a very extensive federal court lawsuit. And the cases are variable. There was a important case, a couple of important cases in Massachusetts, including one involving the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art in North Adams, involving alleged changes to an artwork and even putting a tarp over the work, and, and a case involving outdoor landscape art in Boston that have come up with some different idiosyncratic results. I think it's a new development in American copyright law, but I think it's a very welcome one. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.